I'm just so high when I get in at night. I'm into a very late. I know it's a great song. I want a different one altogether. Very exciting. Happy and a rocker. I didn't have any breakfast on it. I keep thinking, oh, I'll just go to bed now, and then I, I keep hearing your voice from about ten years ago saying, finish him straight away, which is as soon as you start him, finish him. You once told me it was best to finish him, so I just hurt him. And I never do it. No, no. I can't do it. But I know it's the best. Yeah. What's this called, Billy? E with a C? Yeah. Without There's a including the E. Yeah, that's like he's having yeah. this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a D with yeah. a raised. E with a C. E. Yeah, E with a C. The C, what's yeah. that? <laughs> well, I've had an E with an F, which is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm stepping out this old brown shoe. Oh, baby, I'm in love with you. And I'm so... This week's when they was fab. I'm Ed Chan. I'm John Stone. Back with us, our other better half, yes. I guess better quarter, Kid O'Toole, Queen of All Beatles Media. Hey, Kid. Hey, Ed. Hi, John. Great to be back with you. So you're getting ready to teach a Stevie Wonder course. I am indeed. I've been uh, hard at work doing research, and I am so excited about it. It starts uh, January 27th, and going to be covering his career from his earliest Motown years through today, and of course, particularly uh, talking about his classic period in the 70s. I am so excited to be teaching this course. That sounds great. Even though it's not on the days we're covering, I still got to ask you about John's comment about we got to make two of us sound more Stevie Wonder. (laughs) What was going on there? We're all very stiff, like... Yes. To a bus ride yes. nowhere, sending someone But when I heard Stevie Wonder, I don't know what his backing would be, but then you'd sing it looser. But I can't. To a bus ride nowhere, maybe it's just yeah. soft. To a bus ride nowhere, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a very interesting comment. But what? I do like John's, John's little impression there, you know. Yeah. Trying to do a Stevie. Yeah, that, that didn't quite work. <laughs> you know, and he, he tried. <laughs> I was trying to think what hit 
Stevie had at the time. Before 69, I mean, the, the fingertips, of course. Yeah, that was more 62. I'm trying to think if... I was made the lover? Yeah, getting out of the little Stevie Wonder phase. You're right. Good song. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's why I'm so excited to be teaching this course. Other than the Beatles, Stevie is my musical hero. And then Michael Jackson. And then Michael Jackson. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And then there's Prince. Wait. Was great, and Prince, <laughs> absolutely, who all owe a great musical debt to Stevie. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And also, I'll tell you, one of the biggest disappointments in my life was that bootleg from 74. I mean, I remember when I first became a fan and I heard there was this bootleg out there with Paul, John, Stevie Wonder. Who Was Harry Nielsen part of that? I just thought, this is going to be epic. I mean, this is going to be incredible. And then I got that tootin' a snore in 74, and <laughs> wow. You want to snow, Steve? A toot, it's going around. All right, so we are almost to the end of Get Back, although there's another podcast who is apparently more crazy than we are. They're going to cover every day of Get Back on Eggpod, apparently. Every day. A podcast for every day. The first one came out today. Today we're recording on January 2nd, which is the anniversary of day one. There you go. So we pick up on the Monday, day 18, January 27th. Correct. Now, Peter didn't seem to know how to roll into this day. We enter on a bunch of scenes from the Sunday. Now, the soundtrack would be from the proper day, but the video seems to be from the Sunday. You get lots of little Heather there dancing around. Right. Shake, rattle, and roll. And And Miss Anne and blue suede shoes. Right. Uh, Which, like I say, they did actually do all that stuff on the Monday But they did it later in the afternoon. Yeah, you definitely find out that Peter Jackson did take some liberties with the order of some of these incidents. But, you know, he was telling a story. That was his goal in this. And he was telling this story. And so he definitely takes liberties with the order of these events. And I wasn't that upset over it or anything, but he definitely does. Sometimes there are events pushed up against each other that weren't pushed up against each other, which does change the context a little bit. I watched it through the first time, just taking as it came. And I never thought, well, this is weird or this is out of place. It told a story. You know, now we've gotten to a point where it's like, well, now we know where he's taken those liberties. But I don't think it really matters. Yep, I agree. Well, we're a month plus after the first showing and you know we're we're actually starting to get some perspective on this thing other than just like you know sitting there slack jaw going wow right (laughs) although there are times when i'm still like that yep me too (laughs) so then we get into george talking about him writing a new song and that he went to bed very late yes this is actually one of those times where I sit there slack-jawed because it's like, wow, Old Brown Shoe, right there, brand new song. And it's fun because McCartney's very into it. He's very enthusiastic, plays drums, plays guitar. It's fun to watch. It really is. And George seems to be having 
a blast at this point, showing off this song. And as you said, John, I mean, Paul's getting into it and Ringo, and I mean, they just seem to really get a kick out of this. And I like how George said to John at one point, I remember hearing your advice to finish a song right away. Uh, You know, as soon as you start it, finish it. And right. I think John said something like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't do that a lot, but I, you know, I try <laughs> yeah. to or something like that. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. But it was just great to see George at the piano, this huge grin on his face banging out this tune. It was just so just really fun to see. Yeah. Well, and, and, and as he talks to Billy and Billy he kind of goes through the chords with him, it's like, piano is very difficult, aren't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> And he's trying to figure out the chords, and they are George chords on the piano. It's kind of the same thing as in I Want to Tell You. just these odd chords he plays and it's like oh this is a c i've done it with an f you know it's fun to watch him play and you really see the respect i mean you see it throughout the, uh, the documentary but you see it here once again i mean the respect that george and the others have for billy i mean oh yes I mean, that, that is so obvious here where George is like, you know, what if, what is this chord? And, you know, and, and Billy really works with them. And, and George clearly values Billy's input. Well, and Billy's playing the bass there. Yeah, that was fun <laughs> to see. Right. And, and at one point, he takes over the piano. Mm-hmm. As, yeah. as George sings, Billy plays the backing track. He's playing a Fender there, right? That bass that he's playing? Yeah, it's a Fender bass, I believe. And instantly, if you look in the background, Billy has a Ray Charles orchestra bag. <laughs> Which makes sense. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, he just come off of the Ray Charles tour. Sure. <laughs> and then they move on to Let It Be. <laughs> After John helps him bring in the equipment. And he was serious about it. He wasn't joking around. <laughs> he, he actually seemed to be lifting the piano. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, he was very serious helping them move all the stuff in. <laughs> then they move on to a discussion about the PA. The drones are on PA. And John has to make a crack. It's not my idea of a personal assistant. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And then we get into the whole George Martin thing again because he comes in and talks about the instruments and the PA and the mic positions and how it's it's not set up to do what the Beatles are asking it to do. So, again, I don't see Glenn John's there answering those questions. It's George Martin. Right. And they should be at least as big as a bass amp. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Those PAs don't move forward. They keep going around. Well, the thing is, they're both facing each other for a kickoff, and then they're all facing, they're all right next to the That's because all your mics are in different positions. Your mics are all facing like waves. 
Normally, the, the speakers are in front of the mics, you see. Yeah. Now, we get them up there, then they come down to us, nail them on them sticks up there, and oh, shoot yeah, them down to us, and we'll all face yeah. that way, if you like. Any, yeah, we'll face any way. Well, they, they, it's, I don't know who to tell to do that. Right, okay, I'll, I'll do something back. Somehow, if we can each hear what the others are playing. So they, they actually sit there talking for a good two or three minutes about what's the problem with the PA, and, and George Martin actually seems a little bit frustrated with it. You know, it, it's like, look, we're doing the best we can here. Yeah. You, you know, you, you've, got your, you've got your amps pointed all sorts of different ways. Right. You've got to account for that, we then have to turn the mics in all sorts of different weird ways. Yeah. They just seem to be having none of it. And I just well, love how occasionally Michael Lindsay Hawk's camera will focus on the floor and, and all that. And it does, it looks just chaotic. It has <laughs> all the cords. And, I mean, it does look kind of like a disaster. It looks like every studio I ever worked at. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But it's, it's always a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. And then the, the PA the PA discussion comes to a close with is like, well, do you want Ringo in the in the PA or not? And, and John's like, well, we, we just won't bother about Ringo. Ringo, we never take any notice of him anyway. Right? <laughs> poor Ringo. Yeah, poor Ringo. You know. <laughs> All he has to do is keep a beat. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a metronome. <laughs> Or Ringo. And there's there's a little bit of tension in this section, I think. I mean, the Beale's complaining about that they can't hear themselves, they can't get the right sound, they don't like the PA. And yeah, George Martin really steps in here and is I you know, alternately trying to calm them down and say, you know, okay, we'll fix this. You know, we'll we'll get this settled. But yeah, there's a little bit of tension there and I think it's just the pressure they're feeling to get this project done. Yeah. Yeah, the, the tension does definitely come back. They've gotten used to Billy being there and they're certainly happy to have him in the band and him making suggestions, but they have also realized we're actually doing this. Mm-hmm. We're recording this album and and now that they've kind of set themselves this goal, okay, we're going to go and play live, it's a concern. Do you think that I mean I, I keep coming up against Paul's lack of saying yes that's what we're doing he's not really settling in on anything paul seems to be either lacking in enthusiasm for going up on the roof or he just kind of doesn't want the project to end it's like oh well you know maybe i'm just happy okay ringo will go away to make magic christian and then he'll come back and we'll just keep doing this i mean george martin kind of says that when they're going through get back it's like you know we can keep doing this and doing this and doing this but we're never going to get to the one and we'll just spend eternity trying to make this record yeah i think you're right uh, and i think you know there are times in this portion the next few days that we're talking about where yeah paul is starting to look really indecisive and like overthinking things and and questioning and you know we skipped over this a little bit but like when they were going through the long and winding road where they're doing take after take after take and you know he's starting to get on the nerves of everybody <laughs> kind of saying come on i mean you know how many more times can we do this and and paul just keeps saying i can't hear this i'm not hearing what i'm hearing in my head and you know i mean it's just yeah he seems to be starting to doubt 
what exactly they're trying to accomplish. And he's still looking for the big finish to this show. Mm-hmm. But John's already addressed this before when he said the concept that Paul has has been changed because the band has gotten involved and Paul's not happy with that. John tells him that directly. And Paul's like, I know. So he's still lost as far as what the project is going to do. So, I mean, in lieu of that, all they can do is make the album, which they at least mostly know how to do. Yeah. (laughs) But that in itself is not what Paul wanted. So that's unsatisfying to him. So they're stuck in a way. Well, exactly. I mean, and that malaise kind of hangs out over these three days. It's not quite a bad feeling and they're not, angry with each other but you add in the fact that alan klein starts to become even more of a hovering presence over these three days there's a little bit of a bad feeling to us as an audience maybe not to them living it at the time yeah oh there were so many times when you know john would start going on about oh alan klein this is so great i mean i'm sure everybody would join me in saying they just were (laughs) practically screaming (laughs) that's where the the music goes dun 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 (laughs) (laughs) and it's also you know kind of funny that uh john starts to talk about it about Klein and George shows kind of an interest. Uh, what did you want to talk about? And then John says, uh, "Well, just that I saw Klein and that, you know." Oh, Klein. Yeah, yeah, Klein, Alan Klein. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah, and it's you know it's very interesting, yeah. you know, from a lot of angles. Yeah. And uh, but it, I want to tell you all at once, you know, so it's not. Well, but it just um, I just think he's fantastic. Really? Yeah. But a lot of interesting news that we don't know half about, just about... About us? Well, I'll tell, you know, he'll tell you all that, because it's like, you know, he knows everything about everything. Very interesting guy. I was there till two in the morning. And Paul's not in the room, and then he proceeds to basically tell George and Ringo about it. Yeah, right. (laughs) So then they do a a, a pretty soulful rendition of Oh Darling, which I thought was kind of cool. It's the Billy Preston special there. Yeah, but I liked the way it went. And then that leads into what we're familiar with from the, uh, the Let It Be box. The Yoko's divorce has gone through. Oh, right. Free. Right. It was cool to finally see that. Because, I mean, I've heard that a thousand times through bootlegs and, as you said, the box and all. But to finally actually see the moment, that was interesting. Right. And there's a glass of wine on Billy's piano, which Paul proceeds to drink from. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Well, it's alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, lots of wine drinking in this film. A lot of a it. A lot of it. Is there more wine drinking or is there more cigarette smoking? Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> Hard to tell. It's brave of Disney to show this. Yeah, really. Then comes Don't Let Me Down. One of my favorite parts because it's like they're trying to figure out what are the words? What is the cadence? And will we ever decide? Don't Let Me Down changes always and and paul just kind of holds on with that harmony what is john gonna sing and he kind of goes with it he's used to that i mean you know john never sang the same lyrics to help twice in a row (laughs) (laughs) and then billy preston does a great 
electric piano part. I could go on and on about Billy Preston. John says it all there. Although I don't know if Billy quite liked being called Little Willie. It's again and again, you just see how much Billy contributed to these sessions. That's one of the many great things about Get Back. I think Billy finally gets his just due here as to how much he contributed to this project. He saved the project, for God's sake. I mean, he, he really did. You know, glad to see it. Also want to point out here that, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard this too, that one of the complaints about the film is, oh, it was tedious at times, you know, hearing all these takes and hearing, you know, going back, you know, do we really need to hear all these takes? Hey, this is, and, and John, I'm, I know you can speak to this particularly, I mean, this is what the recording process is. This is real life. I really enjoyed seeing this. I mean, going back and working on these songs. I mean, it isn't all excitement and magic and everything. I mean, this is hard work. Well, I mean, as we all know, the writing process, not the, necessarily the songwriting process, but the writing of the sort that we do, you know, books yeah. and articles, is exactly the same. You sit there and you you write it once, and then it's like, no, I don't like that, and I don't like that, and I don't like that. And, right. you know, you spend... Four times as long editing it down. Well, it's kind of like these podcasts. Right. Exactly. It isn't glamorous. It isn't. I've heard some chatter on Facebook and on saying, you know, oh, do we really need that many takes of Don't Let Me Down? Well, this is real life. This is how they worked. And I just think it was wonderful to see this. I mean, you know, you really felt like you were in the studio with them. And this is how the Beatles recorded. This is probably how any band records. I, I just think it's fascinating. It's a representative sample. I mean, if you really want to uh, bore people who are not Beatle people, play them the Nagras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah, I don't know if I need to hear all 83 volumes and all that. I mean, I don't know if even I would go that far. But <laughs> I just want to mention that because I've been reading this so much online about, oh, did we need that many takes of Get Back and that many takes of Don't Let Me Down? To me, this was such a great part of this documentary. I mean, that you really got a sense, this is how they work. This is what the writing and the recording process is all about. Right. If you really think that it's it's that many takes of, let's say, Get Back, then you've missed the subtlety of the changes that occur in the writing process. Exactly. None of them are exactly the same, and it keeps evolving into that great record you end up with. And so that's part of what you're watching, and perhaps that goes past some people, but you really are watching people who are clearly musical geniuses create their work. I'm sure watching a sculptor sculpt would not be that interesting, but you know this is really a, a rare look into an artist process. Exactly. So, okay, so so back on to the day. The band goes off to our meal break, and we get a quick shot of the uh, the various engineers and studio guys picking up the Beatles' instruments. <laughs> uh, should you really be doing that, guys? <laughs> I just was picturing Paul and Ringo watching this in the screening and thinking, you know, thinking hey! <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you know how much that Hofner bass is going to be worth? <laughs> <laughs> But we do see Alan Parsons behind Billy's piano. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, he makes some appearances. Working on this project. <laughs> <laughs> During the that infamous Tootinous Door session, uh, the day after, uh, Ringo came in and said, who's been messing with my drums? Because, well, Paul had gotten behind the, his drums for that session. So it's like, okay, you don't like Paul sitting behind your drums. What are you going to think about this guy being there? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hmm. So they, they come back. Uh, they uh, they talk about the book layout a little bit more. Yeah. More reading of newspaper articles. John Lennon loves Yoko. <laughs> like, really, guys? You know, they've been together for a couple months now. They've been doing these uh, public projects. You really think they love each other? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, you know that they, they had different scenes of that throughout this of them reading articles about themselves and chuckling over you know rumors and also they they definitely were aware. They do that as often as they drink wine. Seen now when Paul plays uh, Strawberry Fields on the piano. Oh wow! Um, yeah. It Love kind it. of it struck me as you know, one of the lost possibilities of get back that they might have actually played older songs or songs that they never had done on stage because it wasn't possible, but a a piano version of strawberry fields. It was pretty and really kind of cool. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, Oh, we could have had that too. And I mean, of course, Paul did, did kind of do that years later in his live show. He did a medley with Strawberry Fields and Help and Give Peace a Chance. Right. Which is not quite the same. And, and incidentally, this was actually early in the day, not here. Then that moves on to multiple takes of Get Back. <laughs> yeah, I understand that this day they did Get Back a full run through 25 times. And they did a, a lot more where they'd just do like a, a minute version, partial song. So they did it a lot. And I think at one point, Glenn, in talking to Paul, says, you know, you're just kind of going and going and driving it all into the ground. Yeah, <laughs> you should do something else. Well, it makes you appreciate the fact that they only did it three times on the roof. Yeah, <laughs> could have done true. it, you know, another another half dozen times. But in in this twenty five times is when they actually got the single. Yeah, yeah. And Michael Lindsay Hogg comes up with this idea of a helicopter for the shots for the roof. All this work and all this expense, and they're still dithering on: Are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell at times Michael Lindsay Hogg is just like, "Why did I agree to this? Why am I here?" <laughs> Whereas I'm sure Paul is going, why did we get Michael Lindsay Hogg? <laughs> <laughs> then we get them doing a, an old Hank Williams song, Take These Chains From My Heart, which is, I like that. <laughs> That's a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mal shows up. Mal's wearing a tie. Hmm. And I'm not sure why. Yeah. Because normally he's pretty casual. So I wonder. Staff meeting. Maybe he had a meeting with HR. <laughs> Can you imagine HR at Apple? <laughs> Chris O'Dell is probably the, the closest they would have gotten to that. Yeah, really. <laughs> and Chris O'Dell, well, we won't go there, but she uh, uh, appreciated some of the 
musicians that came through. Let's leave it at that. Yes. It could have been Richard Delello. <laughs> Here, have a joint. We're going to talk about your, yeah. your performance evaluation. Your drug use. <laughs> Do you know where we could get more? And talking about uh, fashion, going back to Mel Evans, of course, George was rocking his uh, those flower slipper things. Those were funky. Yeah. The, the 60s Uggs. Yeah, the who, 60s Uggs. Very good. Who dresses these guys? I know. <laughs> Yeah, George was sporting some really interesting fashion, as was Glenn John's. Totally. I loved when John, you know, is complaining about his microphone slipping and Glenn just uh, walks out really casually in a smoking jacket. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although he does have a screwdriver with him, so so he can fix it. Fill up screwdriver, yeah. But in a smoking jacket. I mean, that takes <laughs> guts. You know, I don't know why Kevin didn't come out and fix that mic. they run back and forth between the studio and the engineering booth to listen to the various versions of get back there's a nice scene in there where yoko splits a piece of gum and gives half to ringo and tries to desperately put the other half in john's hand i don't know if his (laughs) breath was bad or what was going on but john john take take this gum (laughs) and then finally she she grabs his hand and sticks it and then he says oh okay and he puts it in his mouth yeah i thought that was very sweet actually (laughs) yeah that was kind of funny yeah i thought is this some kind of hint (laughs) (laughs) oh i didn't even think that Oh, man. Then we move on to I've Got a Feeling. And John's voice is starting to go a little bit. I mean, that's really what he's complaining about through these days. Yeah, he sounded exhausted at this point. His voice was definitely ragged, but it was also, yeah, he just sounded tired. You could tell they were starting to hit the end. That first part was an affectation, I believe. Where he's like, you know, everybody had a hard year. You know, because he sings it again and his voice is fine. Yeah. Yeah, so, maybe. You know, I didn't know whether he was just kind of purposely forcing for an effect, but. It may be uh, a bit of each. Yeah. Uh, but it was a good solid rehearsal on I've Got a Feeling for sure. Although, as Paul points out, they're miles out of tune. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and George t- telling Billy. Billy, you give us, instead of giving us like uh, one note, give us a riff like. That's easier to tune to. I like that. Me too. It was real cool. And Billy's like, oh, no problem. You know, and of course, plays a great, <laughs> great complicated riff. <laughs> and that closes out the day, pretty much. Pretty much. Paul, was the, the one you said was best, mark it best and keep it. A comment that would go into the Rockman game. <laughs> oh, yes. Forgot about that. And we get the message on the screen. A bad weather forecast delays the rooftop concert by 24 hours. So... At this point, they were originally talking about on the Wednesday, so they, they've moved it to the Thursday now. We watch the way things go, and there's always this alternate history, but if the weather had been okay, do you think they would have actually gone up on the roof on that Wednesday? Ooh, good question. I don't know. 
I wonder if they would have delayed it anyway. I mean, look how they were freaking out over not being ready, you know, for Thursday. I mean, I wonder if they would have delayed it. Found some excuse to delay it anyway, you think? As I said, they were freaking out about not being ready for Thursday. So I wonder if they would have delayed it in any case. But they didn't find an excuse to delay it to Friday. Yeah, true. They did have one more day they could have pushed it. That's true, unless it was just to get Michael Lindsay Hogg off their backs. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt the universe unfolds as it should. Yes. (laughs) They move on to day 19, which is... Tuesday, the 28th. Right. Two days before the show. Well, I don't know where anything is these days because he kind of skips around. But in the movie, they're working on something. And I noticed they changed the key. And they do work on something during this day. Again, it's not right first thing. But I, I can understand why Peter Jackson said this is the strongest thing. We want to put this right up front for this day. Right. And it is really fascinating to hear it in progress. George mentions he's been working on it for six months. And then that great conversation. Something What could it be, Paul? Something in the way she moves. What attracted me at all? Just say whatever comes in your head each time. Attracts me like a cauliflower until you get the word. Yeah, Yeah, but I've been through this one like for about six months. Attracts me like a pomegranate. (laughs) We could have that. Attracts me like a pomegranate. Something in the way she moves. John just says, just put anything there until you figure it out. It attracts me like a cauliflower. George seems to prefer pomegranate. He does later eventually go with cauliflower because he sings pomegranate and then he changes it to cauliflower, which to me as a writer is interesting because the vowel sounds and cauliflower sounds more like lover. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no other lover. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true. And, and that's, that's often the way people write. And the six months does make sense because that would have been when Peter Asher bought James Taylor in. For the first time. Right. During the White Album sessions there. Yep. Oh, you you don't think that had an influence on him, do you? Nah. Nah. It's a good thing that that wasn't first thing in the morning because, well, we do see Kevin opening some wine bottles there. (laughs) (laughs) They may have been drunks, but they weren't alcoholics. They they waited until after. (laughs) And it won't be the last time he opens some wine bottles, too. In this case, it makes it look bad because putting this thing first thing in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was an unfortunate placement because even I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> that's a little well, early you know, to start." <laughs> honestly, we don't know if they could be drinking that early in the morning. Well, again, it wasn't first thing in the morning. <laughs> you listen to the Nagras; they keep talking about, "Oh, we'll, we'll be in at 
11. We'll be in at noon. We'll be in at yeah. 1. We'll be in at 2. So, I mean, right. know, the starting time just seemed to keep slipping. Although they did, you know, usually finish by 10, 10, 30. They didn't go all night like they did when they were at EMI. Yeah, true. Right. We see a copy of uh, the Fleetwood Mac single, Need Your Love, on Billy's piano. And that's kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things where you have to watch this. You know, a number of times because you miss little details like that yeah. the first time around. And this was a, another time where I thought, oh, missed opportunity because there's serious discussion about doing Love Be Do. And they do it. And I yeah. think, oh, man, you know, <laughs> I wish we had a finished version of that because I the know. harmonies are different. I mean, there's just something about this. I mean, you had mentioned uh, it, it at the end of part two when they played it. This is actually even a slightly further developed version from that. Yeah, that's why I figured it was a serious contender. And Billy's playing on it. Yeah. Right. Well, it's not a tough tune, but... <laughs> well, this is true. Gosh, we could have had that too. Next comes that discussion that we were talking about earlier. Paul comments that, oh, he's got to go off to some meeting. He doesn't say what meeting, but he's got to go off to some meeting at one thirty. And that kills me. What was that meeting? I would love to know. <laughs> and it's, of course, never revealed. Right. And then John talks about Klein. So was John taking advantage of Paul not being there? Good question. Yeah. So with Paul gone, they, they go into I've Got a Feeling. Then they have this discussion. And John has fallen in love with Klein. Oh, is that obvious? Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Wow. Yeah. He, and he knows, he even knows what we're like, you know. The way he described each one of us, you know, and what we've done and what we're going to do and that. But just like he knows me as much as you do. Incredible guy. Yeah. And he's got a great idea for Biafra. He's like, says, I'm practical. And his thing, you know, the Stone Circus we did. Well, sort of, he arranges those things for yeah. them. Like, but all we heard about that and the, 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 the royalty from way back, yeah. they get much more than us. However many we sell, they cut, you know? So the Stone Show, he's gonna make an LP out of it. They're making a book of it and everything, of course, you know, like everybody's into that. And he's gonna uh, make an LP of it, of everybody that was on, to buy food for Biafra. Yeah, I was telling him about your idea for that film. And, oh, yeah. But the thing is, I mean, if we took the food to that place with the money we've all earned, he'd do it completely himself, arrange it all. I didn't mean to get into all this, but he's so fascinated. He is just singing Klein's praises. And as I said earlier, I'm sure I know I was, and I'm sure everybody else was saying, no, <laughs> don't do it. And Yoko makes the comment that Klein owned half of MGM. Yeah. Kit, you and I had talked offline about this earlier. There was actually some interesting wrangling going on between UA and Klein and MGM regarding who was going to release Let It Be. Oh, that's right. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, that was an interesting comment <laughs> in light of that. Now, half of MGM was an exaggeration, but he was a reasonably large shareholder. Right. And wasn't MGM having some tax issues at that point? Yeah, I believe so. And the shares did end up coming in handy because John and Paul convinced Klein to, to put those shares into their bid to get Northern Songs. Oh, right. They didn't right. win them, but you want part of this? Well, you got to put some skin in this game. 
Right. It was a very enlightening conversation, as as we said earlier. It was you know John kept saying, "Oh, I, I don't want to talk too much you know more about this until everybody's here," and then he just kept going. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then John believed Klein's clear line about Biafra, and it's like, oh, well, <laughs> George, if you had read through what is clearly a line, then you could have saved yourself a lot of trouble with Bangladesh a couple of years later. Yeah, that was a little painful to watch. Oh, you know, he'll earn all this money and then he'll find a way to get the food to the to the starving in Biafra and get around the government. It's like, oh, oh, <laughs> guys, he's going to be selling these unstickered records from the back of a trunk. Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, but you got to remember, at that point in time, Klein had, as far as the world was concerned, had successfully organized this uh, Rolling Stones thing and all the big plans for it. So none of that was in the public view. I don't even think it was in Mick Jagger's view. Although the Stones had, had well lost faith in Klein by that point. They knew what Klein was. I mean, you know, there, there's stories that Mick was trying to break the Beatles up from within by getting Klein in there. Although, of course, there are similar stories about Keith Richards and Yoko. So, <laughs> Nasty rumors. And, and let's not forget that Klein had organized the Rock and Roll Circus, which had been three weeks earlier. So Jagger may have his suspicions, but he clearly was still working with him. So... I don't know how much of his thing was hindsight. <laughs> then they move on to Old Brown Shoe, which includes George talking about wanting to go shoe shopping, but never being able to get to the shoe shops. And we learned that George is a size eight. Yep. <laughs> now, what was the name of that shoe shop? Somebody said is in Bond Street, a good one. Do you know a sh- good shoe shop near? There's a yeah, lot of shoe shops in uh, Bond Street. Yeah, but I just want, you know, like... Ordinary black leather shoes, just that I never get any, you know, because I'm never in shoe shops. Do you want me to bring them both over? <coughs> if you could con somebody into coming with, you know, a selection of black slip-on size eights. Must be nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get an anvil, Mal. <laughs> <laughs> and then John brings out the stylophone. I guess we're all familiar with this toy instrument because uh, Bowie used it. Right. When Billy gets a hold of it, it reminds me a lot of the clavelin that they used on Baby, You're a Rich Man. That kind of random sound. Yeah, well, Billy figured out how to play it immediately. <laughs> the others were just kind of, oh, well, gee, this is cool. I can run the stylus over it and make it beep at me. <laughs> <laughs> Billy gets a hold of it and he's like, figures it out in two seconds. And, and he plays all brown shoe on it. This is too much, man. Eh? Yeah. 
<laughs> so Paul comes back into the studio. We, they do a little bit of Don't Let Me Down. Actually, more than a little bit. Yeah. yeah. They pretty much finish it. Luckily, George Martin suggests a tune-up. John makes a comment, which even for John Lennon is a little bit rough. It's like, I've had some wine, you know, remember Bob Waller. Yeah. Oh, yeah. John, uh, don't don't go there. Yeah, that was an ouch comment. No, I just think what we did, though, we, uh... Not even Bob Waller. Well, he clearly wasn't actually threatening George Martin. But he probably wasn't intending to beat Bob Waller half to death either. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But, you know, there's several times during the course of this film when any suggestion to tune up or turn down or adjust your sound gets a response by all of them. Like, hey, you know, don't tell me to turn down. And, and, and so I see this as part of that tradition. It's like, eh, tell me to tune up. I'll. Let's just say, uh, for the people who don't know, it's probably better they don't know what it's referring to. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's one of the few things that didn't make its way into the, uh, the six-minute introduction way back at the beginning of part one. <laughs> I, I watched that again because I started this, you know, let's go from day day one and go along with each day. And it's like, yeah, th- again, they hit pretty much every point the Beatles make somewhere in this film in that six minutes. Yeah. They move on to I Want You, She's So Heavy. Paul's playing a giant shaker. Yeah, he's going to town on that. <laughs> Yeah, I have some notes here that I wanted to talk about. One, when they're recording Don't Let Me Down that they used for the single, Mal Evans is actually pouring a glass of wine right next to George Harrison. Yes. And and the recording is going. And I thought, where in the world do you have that kind of extraneous noise going on while you're cutting a record? I noticed that, too. That is a really good point. So I thought that, too. Like, how did that not end up on the final recording well i I think i have the answer on the version that's filmed george is singing but on the record it's mixed out his vocal is totally mixed out oh okay so maybe it was actually there (laughs) maybe you would have heard where's that in the box come on giles we want to hear it (laughs) you know what i hate they mixed out the gurgling bottle They kept the vibrating wine glass on long, long, long. They make some comments about the Krishna Chronicles during Don't Let Me Down. Yes. The Krishna Christmas Club. It's like, where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah. So after that, they move on to Half a Pound of Grease Paint. This song has had this title before Peter Jackson, so I think this is the first time it's ever been officially credited and copyrighted. Oh, a pound of grease paint on your face. That's a little kind of thing you can't erase. You can't see in your blind, you can't see in your stream. So get him to the woods and let him hear you scream. What is that? <laughs> oh, it's a banger. I mean, I don't know why it wasn't released. Uh, yeah that and what's the new mary jane would have been perfect (laughs) (laughs) that's a single that's a double banger right there (laughs) we see the scruffs in the door looking through the glass and he's like ogling them it's like okay yeah cool yeah you see that a few times pressing their noses to the glass uh, i probably would have been doing that too <laughs> to be honest with you yeah and more wine being poured 
Uh, and then without benefit of hearing John's description of Klein, Klein arrives and the Beatles end for the day to go upstairs and meet with him. All right. And as John said, the music should have been dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> or the like, sound oh, of no. crackling flames. <laughs> <laughs> Alan Klein's here. So we move on to uh, day 20, Wednesday, January the 29th, the day before the rooftop concert. Rooftop concert eve. And it opens with talk of Alan Klein. Surprise. Did you meet Alan before? I met him the other day, only, and I met him at the circus. He's just sort of said hello or something. It's strange guy, isn't oh, it? He's fantastic. Yeah. He really is very strange. Yeah. Very, very clever. Yeah. But strange, man. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's about. We all. We're all bustlers. <laughs> and the con man who's on our side. So he is. Or the con man on the other side. Mm. He's extraordinary. His capacity. I, I can't really explain it. Yeah. I don't know if he speaks to you the same way as he does other people. Perhaps not because you're who you are. But he'll ask you a question and you're halfway through answering it. And, he, and if he doesn't like the answer or if it's not really what he wanted to hear, he'll change the subject right in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> that bugs me every time, actually. I love this conversation with Glenn Johns. As adults, they were accepting of what Klein was. They weren't being hoodwinked as to what he was. John still certainly had this naive belief that, you know, okay, he, sure, he's going to make money for himself, but he's going to make more money for us. Which, again, you go and talk to Mick, that's not the case. No, he did. He, he I mean, did make more money for them, but he also was more looking to get as much as he possibly could out of their pockets as fast as he could. Well, I, I, mean, I agree he was not honest, <laughs> but he did make the Beatles a lot more money. And in some ways, he did it by being more aggressive than... People had began to you know expect from the Beatles organization. Now you have a wolf who negotiates pretty hard, and but he made him a lot of more, lot more money, and probably saved them financially. I, I don't know. I, I think they could have gotten somebody else to do the same thing. Without a doubt, that's the truth. I mean, they could have gotten somebody else, and they would have done a different job. But he didn't totally rip them off. He did make them a lot of money. Yeah, but had he stayed around, he would have done to them what he did to the Stones. He would have found a way to get his mitts on Northern songs Yep, for himself. Absolutely. For Abco. And I firmly believe that. Yeah, the way he screwed over Sam Cooke. He had a pattern. Well, that's not the way it went. But I mean, you know, I think his history just shows that that's the way it would have gone. Yeah. Well, after Ringo announces to everybody that... Uh, I think we need an audience of some sort. Are there... A surprise audience that we might get tomorrow, or a... Uh, I haven't got it yet. I just thought I'd let you know. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Oh, he's going to sit here silent and look at you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone seems to love that, and it's like, okay. Yeah, it's a fart joke, fine. Who doesn't love a fart joke? Yeah, yeah, that's Ringo being silly. <laughs> he said that to George Martin. You yeah. know, Mr. kind of, in a way, prim and proper. <laughs> yes. And George, it's just like, okay, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> and so during that conversation, Ringo, once he gets back to serious matters, says, okay, there's, we've got about, what, five or six numbers for the rooftop. Right. Yep. That's all they have. Although they do come up with a longer list later in the day. And then, of course, Paul is having this crisis now saying he doesn't think they can do it. Uh, they're not ready. So John's trying to talk to him. Glenn John's, everybody's trying to 
talk to him. We, whenever we talk about it, we have certain rules. Like George said, what do you want to do? And he says, no films. You know, but it's wrong, that. It's very wrong, that, because you don't know. He says, what he means is no help, hard days, not, you know. Because this is a film, and he now doesn't mind this, you know. It's us going silly again. Paul's ass. Yep. Charles Gooden. Hey, listen, I think, I think we might do it. Uh, one thing I have to say, we see Tony Richmond a lot in here. Tony Richmond looks like every background extra in Almost Famous. <laughs> <laughs> With the mustache and, and the clothes he's wearing. They must have used him as a model. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, Peter Frampton was around. I'll bet Peter Frampton knew Tony Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> Is Paul still not happy with plans as they're made? And there's a scene where Martin says, "Business of a deadline, though, Paul. It's up to you, really, because we we've, we've given you deadlines already." Yeah, well, I'm, that's why I'm talking to John, not you. The easiest way to finish this show is just to sit here for another few days and start rehearsing them one after the other and do three numbers at a time. And like George said, get a program of where we're going to do and what what's going to follow what, and just start playing them right through. And then just knock it off. The deadline is you, Paul. Wow. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's that back and forth. We respect you and we'll listen to you, George Martin, but you're not one of the band. Yeah, I suppose that's the case. But I would be surprised if, you know, that was the moment George Martin was like, fine, <laughs> bugger <laughs> off. I still don't understand why George Martin has such hard feelings about these sessions. Giles and George himself in interviews has said that the Let It Be sessions were the worst three weeks of his life. It's like, he doesn't seem to be that unhappy when he's there on film. That was one thing I was surprised about watching this. I thought that George Martin was going to be completely like disengaged. No, he really wasn't. He was involved. He didn't look dour all the time. No, but do you think he was being listened to? There were probably times he was being shut out. He was listened to when he agreed with the band. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, great point, George. We're all there right with you. That's the good part of the job. Yeah. I just think the difference in this is that he was not in control. He wasn't in command. And probably decisions were being made that he totally disagreed with. And had he been in charge, wouldn't have gone down that way. Right. He wouldn't have set up the mics that way. He already yep. said that. You know, so there are other decisions I'm sure that he would have made differently. A lot of this discussion is some of the discussion that we had in the Let It Be box where the context didn't make much sense. It makes a whole lot more sense, but it also in a way makes much less sense. It's like you're a day away from doing this, guys. How can you still be sitting here dithering over this? Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking too. Like you knew this was coming. I mean you knew that this day was coming, and why are you still, as you said, dithering about this? I mean, you've just got to do it. George Harrison, at one point, is like, well, you know, maybe if we d- took six more weeks. Like, six more weeks? <laughs> are you kidding? Right. The way the band had worked in the past, apparently, was that they all agreed on doing something. And if anyone had said no, then it didn't happen. So right. maybe... In the back of his mind, Paul's like, until I say yes, it's not happening. I have to say yes. You know, know, whatever, I'll do it if we've got to go on the roof. You're the band. You know, I mean, well, I I don't want to go on the roof. I would like to go on the roof. You would like to? 
Yes, I'd like to go on the roof. Diverse people. One second. But I mean, if when Ringo says, I'll go up on the roof, that reminded me so much of that, you know, moment from Hard Day's Night where, where Ringo goes, you know, I feel like a bit of work now. And it's like, God bless you, Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. But did you also notice Paul's reaction when Ringo says, I want to go up on the roof? And Paul's kind of taken aback. Yeah, things do seem to take a turn when Ringo says that. Yeah, because John pretty quickly agrees with him. Yeah. Right. And George says he'll go. He doesn't really want to go on the roof, but I'll go. Yeah. I don't think Paul was really against going up on the roof. It wasn't the big ending he wanted, but he knew that it could be a big ending. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was just his nerves. And it's like, this wasn't my idea. Yeah. Maybe that was more the case. Yeah. I would, that, I'd put the emphasis on it wasn't my idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this wasn't what he intended. I assume his idea was a show at the roundhouse. That was how it all began. Right. And so going up on the roof is not what he intended. That was a fascinating moment, though, when Ringo finally said, I want to go up on the roof. And it was like the tides turned. You know, and so it was just fascinating that it was Ringo was the one that did finally make everyone say, okay, let's, let's do right, this. Right. There was a great line in there. You mean you still want expecting us to be on the chimney with a lot of people or something like that? Well, anyway, so, George, so we won't worry George, about that. Don't, don't expecting is not a word we use anymore. Uh, <laughs> thinking about Praying, <laughs> hoping. <laughs> Right. Yeah, there were times where he just looked like he just wanted to tear his hair out. I mean, it was really like, get this guy a sedative. <laughs> He's like, why did I ever agree to do this? You know, in all the frustration, Paul says something effective, you know. United or else I really feel like I'm trying to produce the Beatles, and I know it's hopeless. I just can't do it, you know. And no one can do it, because you... The four individuals are too strong individuals. If we now just get it. He's trying to figure out how it's supposed to work. And it's ironic that right behind him sits George Martin. Yeah. (laughs) That was the second time George thought, I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) So then Paul looks around and says, okay, well, I guess he wants to talk about the album now. It's like, well, do we even have a list of songs that we've done? And George Martin, you know, in a James Bond-like fashion. <laughs> oh, here, Paul. I've got this list right here in my pocket. <laughs> and he hands it to him. Right. It wasn't that so what songs have we got? Have we got a sort of list of what we've got? Because A lot of them are, are, I mean, there's, there's too much of a list there. You, there's certainly everything. Okay. Absolutely everything. I've got a feeling. Don't let me down. Get back. I don't know what that is. I'd like a love that's right. I'd like a love that's we learned the course of George's Long and windy road, let it be. For you, Blue. Oh, you're Blue. That's you're the one we recorded to George of the Hawaiian. I love you, Blue. Two of us. <clears throat> All I want is you. Across the universe now. Max or Silver Hammer. Route 999. One after 909. <laughs> one after 909. Well, listen, there's no surprise numbers even in this. Surprise. I mean, there's nothing that would throw us to do it straight. Bathroom window. Teddy boy. We haven't run through Maxwell since two. No. No. But all things was past. That's the rocking Just dig it as well. Which <laughs> we've is very been doing it. There's no question we've got enough. It's like all these new ones we've got to do to make up the number don't exist. Right. right. We've got them all, didn't we? I mean, you've got the live album. If you yeah. want to do it, if we just find out. So we should just sort of collect it. all the thoughts on these and just check through every song, like, to know, say, make sure you know all the chords, I know all the bass notes. Don't let me down. 
pretty extensive list too yeah Yeah. um, right and we have another 30 songs (laughs) (laughs) there's your beatles too then we get a conversation that that we've had for a long time on the bootlegs but again it's really nice to see although peter jackson sheets a little bit we only see the end of george talking and telling this conversation the the first half of it is johnny yoko facing an amp you know, presumably, oh, George is behind that amp. I don't think George is behind that amp. I think he stole that shot from somewhere else. You see, I've got my quote of tunes for the next 10 years or oh, albums. Right. So, so George talks to John and Yoko about, oh, I, I, maybe I should just record a solo album and then come back to the Beatles. Yeah, that is a fascinating conversation. It really is. First of all, of course, because we know that will ultimately become All Things Must Pass, it's a what could have been thing of, you know, a lot of people said, well, could that have been a way that the Beatles could have stayed together, you know, done their own projects and then come back. And John and Yoko were very supportive of George doing his own album. More importantly for the band, John was was supportive. Because Klein was on the the scene now that was one of the things that he enticed george with it was like you could do your own album you know the fact that it was on his mind he might have even brought it up i'd like to do my own album well i'll get you the money although as we learned from all things must pass george was n- even up and to the point that he actually started recording the album he was never sure that he was recording a solo album you know he thought oh well okay he will record some of my songs while I'm trying to get this house band together for Apple. It was never, okay, this is my first solo album until until it was. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and it's also kind of funny that they both had already put out solo albums. So then we move on to another version of I Want You, a really great version of I Want You. It's the, the I Had a Dream version, which is particularly interesting given John and Paul's comments earlier in the film about Martin Luther King. So, I mean, he was on their mind. Yeah. It wasn't just kind of Billy as the American, the African-American in the room. Right. Yeah, I love this segment. Anything with more Billy Preston is great with me. All of them were just jamming, Billy singing, you know, doing some improv. Just a wonderful section. And it was just great to see all of them letting off some steam. 
What a treat. Loved it. Well, and Paul playing that Hawaiian lap steel. Yes. Yeah, yeah that was great to see him play. Man, I didn't know he could play that. Paul McCartney can play anything. <laughs> That's right. He's he is Superman. I forgot. <laughs> this is true, but but if you really listen, he doesn't play it that well. John smokes him. <laughs> Elmore James got nothing on this baby. <laughs> right. But good try. I think that there's a certain joyful enthusiasm in Billy in that at that moment, even though they are playing the basis of what became I Want You, they are all composing together at that point. I mean, they're coming up with lines and he's coming up with lines. And so I think they're writing together. That must have been like, I'm writing with the Beatles. Um, (laughs) There's a. An exuberance, I think, this is really cool. Yeah, good point. And the day ends with the clenched teeth version of To Us. Both John and Paul manage it pretty well. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, they could have auditioned to be ventriloquists or something. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, the clenched teeth, I was thinking, so this is like the truthful two of us where they look at each other and go, To Us, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Now we're arguing. That concluded the day. Wow. As they're all leaving, Yoko says something like, so are we Are you, are you really doing this tomorrow? The uncertainty lasted right up until the time they actually broke through that door and went on the roof. That's right. And this was actually a long day. If you look at the Nagras, they were working hard for pretty much the whole day. They were getting ready, and they didn't leave until they actually felt that they could conceivably go up on the roof and play at least the five songs that they had planned. They were really cramming those songs and making sure that, you know, they felt comfortable with them. And next time we'll find out the suspense is killing me. (laughs) Not included is a couple of Buddy Holly songs. The one which got released, although back when I first heard it, I guess it was on sessions. It's like, why are they releasing this (laughs) mailman? No, bring me no more blues. Yeah. It's okay, but it's a little bit dirge-like, and it's yes. a little bit like, they don't know the song, not really. <laughs> yeah, it's not one of my favorite cover versions. You know, it's terrible vocal. I guess that was right before Apple really came back to life. That was kind of the last hurrah of, oh, well, we'll put this together because we got we can put together one last Beatles thing without their approval. <laughs> That's right. And then they still stepped in and said, Sessions? No, not going to happen. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't do All Things Was Pass in the acoustic, you know, on the 31st. It seems like it was pretty ready to go and acoustic, and I imagine George pulled it. I only mentioned it because they, they rehearsed All Things Was Pass a bunch during this day. Well, and they had mentioned it on this list as, you know, we want to put this on the album. But, I mean, you know, Teddy Boy went away as well. Well, next week, we'll talk about a, a, a bunch of different things. I mean, next week is our big finale. Kit will be back with us. All right. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Ethan Alexanian also agreed to show up next week. And we've got a couple of other people who've been with us all these weeks. If you've listened to the last, oh, goodness, this will be six weeks now. Our review is going to be longer than the film. <laughs> <laughs> Really and truly, although, like I say, we're not going to be the longest. Uh, uh, I Am The Egg Pod is doing a day-by-day as the days flow by in January of 2022. Wow, that's thorough. We're going to wrap it all up with the rooftop, then day 22, then our own sort of overview and general comments 
after going through and talking about the film now for seven weeks. Looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Yeah, there'll be a lot of people involved. We'll, we'll talk over each other. Awesome. <laughs> well, that's, that's what editing is for. <laughs> that's why this show is different than all the other shows. Sorry, Kit. <laughs> you go live. I edit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we like the thrill of, you know, the live and just, you know. <laughs> Just winging it, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we'll be back with that next week. And uh, I guess we could go ahead and say uh, we have booked uh, our friend and yours, Ken Walmack, who's going to join us at the end of the month because John just has so many questions about what the deal was with George Martin and Glenn Johns in the Get Back sessions. Right. It just fascinates me because I just, you know, having watched this, I am convinced that George Martin was the producer of this project, and yet he is not credited at all, and I'm not sure what happened, and uh, I'm interested to find somebody who might know, and Ken might be the one. Ken is not only the man who's writing the uh, Mal Evans books, both of them, he has written a George Harrison book uh, on the All Things Must Pass sessions. He's written John Lennon 1980. He's written a bunch of academic books, including one with the queen of all Beatles media kiddo tool. Yes, indeed. All right. So he's your guy. Look forward to that. So look, look forward to that. Stay tuned. Welcome to 2022, everybody. (laughs) Happy new year. Happy new year. We'll be back next week. Subscribe to when they was fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Existing, uh, forgotten. Put the ones we know in our hands. Shuffle them out to see what Jordan would do with What time are we all going to come in, man? We'll be about We're all sleeping with Georgie tonight, getting the moon. We're all ready for tomorrow. So you're doing the show on the roof tomorrow, are you? On the roof, then. Albert's all? Oh, sure, yeah. Albert's all. That's five o'clock. See you there. Spring your own back. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll go, you know, if someone... <laughs> You'll go as well. I think John and uh, Ringo are on the roof. In a green bag. In a green bag on the roof. Is it going to be Dougie? Who knows? You're coming. Set. Supposed to be, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Good night, life. Good night. Seven, come eleven. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, Good night, George. Good night, George. Good night, George. I'll be here tomorrow to film the church. Free. I tell you one thing. There's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals.
but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned out nice again. <laughs>